Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. If you need help in the area of insurance or mortgages, Denise and Lori are great people to chat with. To find them, just visit the CFAX 1070 website and look under Shows. There you'll find us, The Whole Home Show, with me, Tony Joe, and their contact information is there, or you can always find me online or on social media. If you are looking for an expert realtor to help you with the purchase of a sale of a property, you can call me too. I'm a 26-year local veteran and a top agent with Remax Camosun, Victoria's most productive real estate brokerage. Today in the studio, I have three guests, and our topic is going to be on development, uh, how to thoughtfully plan the scarce resources that we have here in Greater Victoria. We're going to be talking about um, designing and also expediting the feasibility process from that design aspect all the way through to development. It's going to be a great conversation. To start our show, uh, we will begin with our usual weekly listener question. If you have a question or a curiosity about real estate, you can call us on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540, or find us, find us online at cfax1070.com, and we'll discuss it on the air. Had a call this week from Barry. Barry has a relative in Calgary wanting to move to Victoria, and he's asking where's the best place for her to start looking. This is a very common question. In fact, I had one myself uh, just last week uh, from somebody coming from Toronto. There's so, it, This is the thing. I, I don't often think about this because I'm from Victoria. I have no intention to leave. I uh, generally don't research other real estate areas uh, unless I'm doing s some uh, advanced outlook for my clients. I find I do more research when it comes to things like holidays. You know, you need to know a place to stay when you're going skiing or you're going away to, a, uh, to another place. Um, real estate is so complicated because it's more than just picking a property. You can find properties on realtor.ca. I mean, that's the most viewed real estate, real estate resource that is out there. You all know that uh, real estate, uh, realtor.ca has all of the properties posted in Victoria's MLS, MLS system for sale. There's photos there. There's details, uh, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, price ranges, and that. But one of the reasons why I think Barry is asking this question is because from an outsider, it's very difficult to know the locations and the areas in town. I mean, how do you explain Fairfield to a Calgarian? How do you explain Langford, or how do you explain Sydney, or, or things like that. Now, there are agents in town here who have lived in both places. I'll give an example. My wife is from Calgary. She's a realtor in our team. Uh, it's great because she can often say, well, you know, uh, Fairfield is like Marta Loop, or uh, the West Shore is like uh, Airdrie. You know, comparisons like that. It's good to have an agent that knows uh, areas comparatively uh, to be able to uh, explain what those neighborhoods are like. Because Something else other than the house, you know, the size, the square footage, the size of the lot, people want to know what the community is going to be. So what is nearby? What are the recreation areas? If they have kids, what are the schools going to be? This is really important, too, because of the fact that uh, we have catchment areas in town for schools. Uh, people need to really consider what schools they want their kid to go to because it informs where they're going to end up buying a house, whereas 
maybe in the old days, people would buy the house first and then figure out the school after the fact. It's a little more difficult nowadays. Another thing, too, is pricing and values. Now, something I have found, particularly with Calgary, too, happens often where people from Calgary want to come to Victoria, buy the same house, and hopefully have money left over. And the reality is, it's actually the other way around. Um, Calgarians, we, we love you all. I mean, there's been a lot of Alberta um, uh, movement into British Columbia over the years. There was a point in time where we had a lot of Calgary and Edmonton move into Greater Victoria here, something that a lot of people in the Calgary area, for instance, uh, right now, don't seem to realize is that the prices in Victoria are higher. We are still the third most expensive real estate in Canada after Toronto and Vancouver. Calgary uh, is a little ways down the list, actually. Uh, if I was to guess, I'd say Calgary pricing is somewhere around 80% of Victoria pricing. And uh, if, if you are asking yourself why that is, well, it's precisely because of what Barry's uh, relative is wanting to do. She's wanting to move from Calgary to Victoria. People want to move to Victoria. And I mentioned that I had somebody that I spoke to last week who wants to move from Toronto. Uh, he is, by the way, retiring from a business. He wants a quieter lifestyle, has never stepped foot in Victoria before. He just knows, he's heard from people. He's heard about how beautiful it is here. He's heard about the weather because that's a big big factor. When I explained to him that we only got one day of snow a year, he could not believe that. It's It's been a cruel and cold uh, winter in Toronto, I understand. When I talked to him on the phone, it was minus 21, I think it was, whereas the thermostat in my car said plus 12. So uh, there's a big difference. And that's one of the reasons why Victoria is expensive, is because people come from Calgary and Toronto. And I'm sure the majority of the listeners listening to the show right now are not born and raised in Victoria. I was, actually, and there's a very small contingency contingent of us that actually were born and raised and stayed in Victoria. Most everybody has come from. So actually, you, the three guys in the studio now, you're, you're not born and raised in Victoria, Chris. Will, are you? No. Uh, and uh, Joe? Am I, no. Okay, so we've got Corey. You're not. as Okay, I'm alone here alone. in a studio of five people, one out of five. Uh, it is a rarity. Now, I would have to say, I'll ask you guys this later. You chose to live here. Probably. And uh, this is another reason why, uh, like I said, Victoria is uh, expensive. It's a whole other conversation. We've talked about affordability before. Uh, this, is, this is not the time. We'll pick this conversation up at another time. But I want to go back to Barry's question about where to start. Obviously, uh, your relative has started to look on Realtor.ca, as I mentioned. Best place to find real estate. Next thing she's going to do, she's going to want to do is reach out to a real estate professional. There's a lot of agents like myself who specialize in relocations. I think it was 22% of our production last year was from people that came from out of town, uh, lower mainland primarily. We had a lot of Alberta, a fair amount of uh, Ontario, uh, just a little bit of United States. I think it was one uh, United States purchase. That doesn't happen a lot nowadays. I think people were expecting there to be more uh, given their political environment and the fact that their dollar is very strong right now. But speak to an agent like myself who specializes in relocation. One of the keys to a specialist is the fact that if she's coming over here for a buying purchase, we do a lot of military transfers, for instance, where they have seven days to come here, shop, buy, do their diligence, 
and then leave. That's a tight timeline. You need a real estate uh, professional who knows how to work with those, that can prepare, prepare everything in advance, do the um, determination in advance before they get here as to what neighborhoods or areas are appropriate uh, so that they can have a look at the properties that are available right now, make an offer if necessary, uh, if possible, I mean, uh, and then also do the due diligence in the time that they have. That is really the key, is find and assemble your Victoria team. And Barry, if your relative uh, would like to get in touch with us, we'd be happy to, uh, to do so and help her out. Again, if the rest of the listeners here have a real estate question they'd like answered in our show, just call us on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. You can also hear our past shows. We have them streaming on cfax1070.com. Or if you're a podcast or iTunes, you're a podcast listener, sorry, you can find us on iTunes or Google Play. Our show has had so many great guests. We've got great guests today. And uh, oh, one thing I'd like to report to you is that this is show number 52. Mm-hmm. So we've done this 52 times. Um, I've had two repeat shows. One was a technical error. The other one uh, is, is because I was away on holiday. But we've had, fi- this is now our 52nd airing in the studio here. I want to thank all of the listeners in advance for supporting the show. Uh, I know that you like it. I, I, ha- I hear great feedback from the station and from people on the street. Uh, we're here to deliver to you information that is relevant to real estate, and uh, I am continuing on, so you're going to hear me for at least another year. If you have a business or have um, someone you know who would like to promote their business uh, or uh, or property development here on our show, just let me know. I would be happy to, uh, to have them as a guest. When we return, we'll be talking about development and the whole development process with our three guests in studio. We're going to take a, a quick little break here when we come back. You'll be learning more about development in Victoria. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about development in Greater Victoria and also how to expedite the feasibility process from design to development. we got a number of guests in the studio today, but our first guest is Joe Kalenda. Joe has an has a um, business called Motobeni Enterprises, and he is a, a retired city planner uh, with a lot of experience. Joe, thanks for coming. Thank you, Tony. Good morning. Great, Joe. Tell us about what you do. Uh, I'm actually a city planner retired, and I help uh, I help actually developers and applicants get zone changes and subdivisions and development permits and that sort of thing. So I'm really involved in the planning process. Uh, in all 13 communities in the CRD, and, uh, and, and, and in being involved in that, I'm really interested in official community plans, what they say and what they mean, and I'm really interested in sustainable and careful reuse and stewarding of our land base, you know. And we have some obligations here, and we have some opportunities here. So it's 2018. We all have the obligation to carefully and sustainably steward a scarce and diminishing resource and that is residentially zoned land in the urban containment boundaries in the capital regional district okay so this is a really important point because you're talking about a contained area yes and and on the first part of my show we were talking about calgary yes and, and areas like that i have mentioned before the thing about a an area like calgary 
is when a t- that town grows, they open up the city limits. Yes, they And do. they expand outwards, and they've got land they can work with. Now, you use the word scarcity, because scarce resource, yeah. yes. because we don't have that here in Victoria, right? No, we don't. And I think we have an obligation to use that scarce resource to the proper density so that we delay the almost inevitable sprawl of residential development into the rural areas, okay? Our rural areas, and every municipality has a rural part to it, mm-hmm. but our rural areas are for land extensive uses like agriculture and tree farms and nurseries and golf courses and gravel extraction, that sort of thing. So if we, if we, if we are very careful with our residential land in terms of infill and densification, we will delay considerably the almost inevitable movement of residential onto the rural area. Well, this is really interesting because I think most people have this view that developers want to just develop everything. And you just said that it's important to protect uh, things like um, uh, agricultural land and, and yep. things like that. So this is, it's just a really interesting thing for me to hear. Yes. Uh, because, like I said, I mean, the, the developers are all the bad guys. Well, you know, the, the uh, developers <laughs> well, are This not is what really consumers feel, right? Yeah, I know, but, but, but in fact, the developers are your community investors. They're the only ones who are developing the land base, creating, creating housing, and creating tax-based assessment. That's community investment. These guys are your community developers, mm-hmm. your community investors, you know? And I think from the perspective of municipal councils and city planners and that, when a developer makes an application, you should look at, is this the best city planning that can be done on the site? And by the best city planning, we are talking about density. We are talking about ERD values. ERD stands for environmentally responsible development. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of expressing the careful and sustainable use of this scarce resource. And, you know, we are talking about development that's consistent with your official community plan, consistent with with, uh, good city planning principles, and consistent with neighborhood fit, okay? Mm -hmm. And by neighborhood fit, I don't really mean do all the neighbors agree with it? Okay, yeah. (laughs) By neighborhood fit, it means does the proposal sit properly on the site? Does it relate properly to the street front and the block front? And does it relate properly to all the other blocks around it? That's neighborhood fit. Uh, you know, I want to bring something up because sure. you, you reminded ahead. me because I, I was at a uh, uh, council uh, hearing once on a development. We don't need to name it. It ended up going through. Yep. And I will never forget you got up and you spoke because these are you know, these are hours long. I mean, this one here went for hours yeah. uh, and uh, you were not working for this development. You were you're just a citizen and you got up and you said that you were a, um, a past uh, uh, city planner. Yep. And, he, and you basically said. Neighbors, wake up. You're like, this is progress. Like, yes. I know that you're going to hate the fact that, you know, your sight lines will change and the sun lines will change, but this is the way of things. And I got to say, that was ballsy because there was a lot of angry people there. And, you know, you didn't make a lot of friends there. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But, but you know, the point here, it goes back to stewarding this, this, this scarce and diminishing resource, okay? Yeah. So when we're looking at using this residential land, we have to look at the proper densities, whether the neighbors like it or not, you know, because we all have an obligation. I mean, once we use up this residential that's land, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the opportunity. If council picks the right density value, the right ERD value, the right design, 
and makes a decision to approve, they'll be right for 100 years. Yeah. Now, here's the liability. If council short sells the density value for whatever reason, or if council underestimates the ERD value for whatever reason, and they, and they make their decision, they'll be wrong for 100 years. Oh. So the opportunity here... Yeah. The opportunity here is to think carefully about infill and to think carefully about densification. If you read any of our 13 official community plans in our CRD that have been done over the past 15 years, they will have three common themes. One is sustainable community, the second is infill, and the third is densification. And you can't get sustainable community without infill and densification. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're here with Joe Kalenda with Moto Bene Enterprises talking about uh, development and planning here in Victoria. Uh, I didn't uh, I didn't prepare you with this question, but when you think of other cities or towns that have done it right, mm -hmm. what are some good examples? Well, you know, actually, I think Victoria is doing it right. Oh. For 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 example, because if you look at the uh, intensification of of the of the uh, Burdette Valley, like like the Lower Downtown, which has been going on since about two thousand and three. And uh, so you kind of look at what's happening to Victoria. It's getting better, in my opinion. The downtown is getting better. Residential in the downtown, that's terrific. We didn't have that uh, no, 25 years ago. That's right. Yeah. It, like, really, you did not. And then if you look at the, the uh, densification of the neighborhoods like James Bay and, to a lesser extent, Fairfield, it's, they're starting to do the right thing, in my opinion. Yeah. If you look at Langford as an example, so I moved here in 1999, and so I knew Langford in 1999, and you look at <laughs> Langford today in 2018. Completely. Wow, different. it's like like they, they, they have revitalized their main street in downtown. They have put the proper densification in their municipality in the proper locations. So I think that's an example of another city that is doing it right. Mm -hmm. Very vibrant. Now, mind you, of course, Langford also, though, was still a new community, so they, yes. there, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure <laughs> rebuilding, I mean, because a lot of what they've done is, is brand new, right? A lot of what they've done is brand new, and some of the challenges our municipalities here have here, including Oak Bay, is that their infrastructure is kind of ancient, mm -hmm. and the upgrading cost is going to be huge. And, uh, you know, I know what they're trying to do is uh, they're trying to put a 1% lift on the, on the budget every year to create a reserve fund uh, to eventually rebuild the infrastructure. That's not enough, you know. I mean, one way Oak Bay can help rebuild their infrastructure is by, is by looking at growth and development, by looking at mm -hmm. increase in tax base assessments. Yeah, know? no, I mean, that's a good example, though, because Oak sure. Bay is also one of the, is a municipality that holds dear to many of its traditions. Yes. And there is a lot of uh, resistance and pushback to development in Phil and things like there that. There is. However, if you read the 2014, <coughs> excuse me, if you read Oak Bay's OCP 2014, it has all sorts of policies in there about infill, yeah. densification, multifamily residential development they've actually designated yeah. the parts of oak bay which which are suitable for multifamily residential development you know you we're going to take a break in just a moment here but you know one of the things that i, I hope we're going to have a chance to talk a lot more on with uh, the rest of you guys here is ocp the importance of an official community plan and how sometimes a council approves a controversial development because it isn't fitting with the ocp so it may make the neighbors unhappy, but there we go. Joe, people need to reach you. Uh, what's the best number? 
uh, 250-589-8430. Yeah, and we can find you online or by email? Uh, email, yeah. yeah. Moltobene at telus.net. You better spell that. M-O-L-T-O-B-E-N-E. Molto Bene is Italian for very good. Yes. So my company name is Molto Bene Enterprises. Love it. I could have called it Molto Male Enterprises, which which means very bad enterprises. <laughs> okay. I thought Molto Bene would be better. Well, great. Well, thank you, Joe, with your experience. And I'm going to get you back here another time because you are a wealth of information. Uh, thanks for your time and thanks for your uh, Italian lesson. We're taking a quick little break here. We'll be back in just a moment with Will King, architect. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. We're talking today about development. And in our studio right now is Will King. Will is an architect with Waymark uh, Architecture. Uh, Will, thanks for coming. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So we're talking uh, development here, and of course, uh, you're in the studio with our other guests. You were hearing all about uh, Joe, you know, uh, retired city planning planner, and uh, things that need to be done in our community here. What's your approach like when uh, when you're talking about community? When people are thinking about developing a community? So we like to work with people like Joe. Um, we. Uh, we like to work with the cities as well, and so the city planners and then private planners as well. Um, what we're looking for is uh, a better community. So recognizing that development is going to happen, as Joe alluded to, you can make the right decisions, which will last for 100 years, or you can make the wrong decisions, which will last for 100 years. And we like to make sure that the buildings that we're putting in these locations are well thought through so that the, uh, the location um, is in keeping with a community plan, that the community plan is uh, is appropriate, and that the, the building itself um, reflects the plan in the more detailed level. So if we're talking about walkable na- neighborhoods, um, we're talking about densification, we're talking about um, really good places for people to uh, to live, to work, to shop, to, to bike, to commute, to do all those sorts of things. There's a lot of that that has to come from the planning level, and then there's a lot of it that has to work in a very specific way. So the buildings themselves have to reflect the community plan in, the, in, uh, in a more tangible way. Um, one of the things that we do at Waymark Architecture is develop high-performance buildings, and, and I say that because there's a caveat to that, is that uh, when we're talking about a very sustainable development, one thing that we advocate for is a rehabilitation of historic buildings as well. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the most sustainable building that you can build is one that's already there. Yeah. And so the other... Yeah, where, where you don't need to remove things. Precisely, and, precisely. Yeah. Okay. If you've ever seen the demolition of, of a house or another building, you just know the amount of waste and garbage that goes into that. Um you know, you'd be recycling your your uh, pop cans for a thousand years to yeah. try and make up for the waste that's created by demolishing old buildings. And so, again, to Joe's point about doing it right and letting it last means that when it comes to uh, sustainable development, as long as we don't have to create something that needs to be um, undone later, that's the best thing we can do. And so, taking a careful and slow approach to make sure that we're doing this right and we're doing it thoughtfully, and as Joe alluded to, you know, sometimes not everybody sees the same big picture, mm-hmm. but somebody has to have the vision 
um, to put forth the best answer. And, uh, and that's what we try to be a part of every time. And so we look at um, the existing buildings um, and existing neighborhoods, and uh, we look at what, what works really well in those areas and how we can develop um, new buildings or redevelop old buildings in a way that will help um, bring a, a progressive future to that neighborhood. So, so something that keeps uh, working forward, uh, something that is in keeping again with the plan and, and the grand vision that we have for our communities. Yeah, and, and vision is, is so important. We're here with uh, Will King from uh, Wayward Architecture. Uh, passive homes. So tell us, tell the listeners about passive homes. We haven't actually really covered that in our show yet. Um, what is a passive home? All right, so, so Waymark Architecture does uh, work with um, different levels of sustainable development. Um, so a passive house is, uh, is it's often um, misunderstood with a passive solar. Uh, passive solar is something that has come out of the 70s, which is that, in fact, it's been there for, for eons that, you know, the sun would heat your house. Uh, passive house, you have to think of this more as the German term, um, and what it means is, uh, is buildings uh, that don't have a whole lot of machines running them. And you can imagine, in fact, most of our buildings, and this is particular with uh, commercial buildings, but residential buildings are the same way, that over the last generation, our, our buildings have become chopped full of machinery. Mm -hmm. And so what used to be a fireplace in the corner then became this massive mechanical system. Um, what passive house buildings are doing is they are... <laughs> Changing the style um, and the technique of building homes and, and, and all buildings for that matter, so that become really h highly efficient buildings that then allow um, a reduction of mechanical systems. So, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, a typical house could be uh, heated from a small little area of, of heated floor tile at the entryway. Um, some say that you could heat your entire home with a hairdryer. Yeah. Um, this means that the amount of insulation and the, the, uh, the, the air tightness of the building creates a, a hyper-efficient um, system. And then within that system, you can monitor your air quality. Uh, you can monitor um, all of your power usage. It allows people the ability to even... Um, become a net zero or net positive energy buildings because when you when you consume such small amounts of energy, well then you don't have to have that many solar panels to actually make it work. Yeah. And so the ability for homes to actually generate all the power that they need is now very much a possibility. And it's something that we're doing with uh, some of our clients now that are building small homes. It's something that we're also doing with some of our commercial clients that are looking at developing um, office buildings. Um, it's in Europe has been used for schools, it's been used for hospitals. Um, this isn't something that has to be a residential solution. It's a building solution to uh, a problem that exists across um, many different types of development. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with design. You know, when when you're putting pen to paper, or it used to be pen to paper, now it's uh, now it's CAD, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you're determining the location of windows for uh, daylight and. Um, uh, you know, I guess the other to balance it though as well too is windows also uh, cause heat. To escape a house as well, too, right? So well, that's right, and and so what you end up working with is uh, uh, a new toolbox, and so you realize that when, as an architect or a builder, um, you have a certain. Um, toolbox that you're familiar with, so the type of windows that you know, the type of 
construction details that you know how to build. Um, as designers, we have certain things that we that we know our clients like. Um, we have to kind of be willing to throw all of that out. Um, the design of the building has to be simple enough that the key components are are easily attainable. So, so uh, a, a simple envelope around the building and. Uh, for an example, a, a simple square box is uh, an easier building to make a passive house <laughs> than to have um, one of the Victorian era homes yeah. that has um, all of the uh, dormer windows and, uh, and, and, and bays and things like that. Now, now those are also things that people like about their homes. And so rather than simply saying you can't have any of that because you're going to go with a hyper-efficient building, what we look at is what it is about those parts of homes that people have traditionally liked. Uh, what is it about uh, the windows that they, that they are drawn to? What is it about certain rooms that um, don't work? And we realize that uh, some of the best architecture that's come out of the last hundred years um, is, some of it is relevant today, some of it is not relevant today, but being willing to look at all of that through a fresh new lens is what it takes to design. Well, and this is the thing, is when we look at 100-year-old houses, a lot of it was uh, based on style at the time, mm -hmm. whereas now it's, it's function, right? Right. Well, there's a little bit of both uh, in that, you know, if you were to, to tell a client that we're going to design you the, design the most functional building, <laughs> um, they'd often start to sweat. Uh, so, so there's there's a certain amount that has to uh, again it has to reflect our culture. It has to reflect the community that we're in. So uh, the building is uh, almost entirely for its occupants, but not all. Mm -hmm. So part of the building is going to be. A street front. It's going to be viewed and enjoyed by the neighbors. It has to incorporate into the the OCP yeah, and the city plans. There, there's that word again, OCP, and yeah. that's kind of like the theme of our show today, which is designing something within the official community plan. That's right. Will, if people need to reach you, how do they do that? So Waymark Architecture can be found at uh, waymarkarchitecture.com. So that's W-A-Y-M-A-R-K. That's waymarkarchitecture.com, and our phone number is one eight eight eight. 206-0123. Great. So, Will, you, of course, work hand-in-hand -hand with people like Joe and then Chris, who we're going to have online in just a moment. And uh, we're going to wrap this show up in a nice big bow at the very end because our listeners are going to be able to see going from community planning to design, which you just talked about, to actually uh, implementing uh, the, uh, the, design, the development process. So thanks for coming on our show, Will. Thank you we're for having me. We're going to take a uh, break. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. I'm Tony Joe. This is The Whole Home Show. We're talking about development. Just had in our studio Will King, who's an architect, talking about passive homes and also about conforming with official community plans. And that was just a follow-up to our first conversation with Joe Kalenda, a retired city planner uh, who also believes in making thoughtful decisions within the community uh, to ensure the sustainability of uh, our asset, which is the land that we have here in Greater Victoria. Uh, right now, we have with us Chris Troke. Chris is the principal at Envision Designs and Development. Chris, thanks for coming. Hey, uh, thanks, Tony. Uh, thanks for having me on here. Um, and just to t touch base on what uh, Will had mentioned and what you mentioned too, Tony, about a better toolbox. Yeah. Uh, you know, going from the traditional design methods uh, in the past, we at Envision, uh, from a technology perspective, are really trying to um, bring the industry up, uh, up 
by using new technology that enables us to sort of expedite the feasibility process much quicker when we find land opportunities for ourselves or for others for that matter as well. Um, some of the technologies, uh, again, were, were, were brought in through frustration. <laughs> Honestly, it's a, a true story in the sense that you know, over time, you know, we look at properties and we don't know what to do with them. And we have to you know, outsource to a number of professionals like the guys here. And clearly they would understand and appreciate that. Um, what we're looking to do is, again, is get a really good high-level view at a property and with technology enabling us to do so. And it does. So we take our, our sort of design process through a number of levels, in essence. Um, now, once we get to a property, uh, we're able to interpret its, uh, its, its density, its design, its... Um, its uh, Actually, Chris, hold yeah. on a sec. I just, I just want to reel you in for half a second here, because let's talk about the way it's been done up until now. Sure. Like when somebody finds a property... There's a whole bunch of research that needs to be done. Got to run down Municipal Hall. Got to pull up the um, the OCP, Official Community Plan, the uh, the zoning. Uh, got to got to look into things like um, utilities, services. Uh, it's a pretty time-consuming affair, right? The way we do things now, absolutely, or have done things up until now, absolutely, and and for the most part, still still happening. Um, again, not to say it's it's right or wrong. It's just that um, you know we want to find a way to expedite that because. Clearly, time is uh, is money. Yeah. So, w- again, with the technology and how we approach it as well, um, we're able to sort of capture a lot of that data out there in our layering process and then basically compress the site based on what we determine the site to have with respect to its highest and best use. Yeah, because now, habu. and where do you get this data from? So there's the assessment authority, obviously, right? Yeah, we uh, we bring it in from uh, various uh, sources. I mean, uh, on average, with respect to topography, for example, because we need to understand what a site's uh, restrictions are primarily before we can see what its opportunities are. And so we do that through an ESRI system. It's a satellite-driven uh, topography system that we import through our, our software, one level of our software. We have several that we sew together mm-hmm. to create the visual communication tools that we end up having at the end of the process for ourselves, uh, for architects, for planners. We work with... Uh, with all, uh, all sorts in the industry, as well as economic development and municipalities. So what we're able to create in the end is, is really great visual communication tools. Mm-hmm. It helps support a cause, again, from an architect's or a planner's perspective. Um, as far as the, the data in itself uh, on that level of technology, though, that's really where the magic is. So we're able, again, to capture a lot of the, a lot of the information, the data remotely, uh, import it in, and draw literally in 3D. So we're not pencil and paper necessarily anymore, or even CAD for that matter. We're actually using new technology, and it's called parabolic design. And so when we drop our roads in and our designs and so forth, the lots are pre-populated in a sense of the density and what's required for a particular zoning we're moving towards mm-hmm. um, and trying to sort of work from a public hearing or a municipal perspective and evaluation too from an analysis and a pro forma. So once we drop our roads in and our design systems all in 3D, the lots will follow if we want to make changes. We don't have to go back to the proverbial drawing board and change the line here and there. The same is true with underground parking lots, surface parking designs, subdivisions, condo buildings, whatever that may be. And we're able to do that all very intuitively and very fluidly with our technologies, um, which ends up in a very uh, creative uh, process for everyone involved. Um, and we can make changes and so forth. Much changes more. on the fly, Easy, easier, yeah. Much easier, yeah. And again, it's not to, to, to take away from the industry, it's to augment and, 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 and sort of collaborate with the industry to get a better product at the end, uh, much more efficiently for the client, mm-hmm. as well as a density and possibly even a better presentation from all levels when it comes to planning. Because again, Joe's stepping up and speaking in front of the Oak Bay um, uh, amendment uh, meeting that he was at and that you referred to, Tony. 
But again, if we have better visual communication tools that we can present, then we do a better we do a better job telling a better story at the end. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, in a in a public hearing, uh, especially for for council, there the, a developer is going to want to be able to fully demonstrate exactly what it's going to look like. What's what's that development? going to be seen as when it's done, uh, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. It's hard to do today. Uh, you know, it's, it's been sketches, artwork, right? Uh, yeah. But now technology uh, helps in that, in that way. Yeah, it, it does. And it does, um, you know, so much more in essence as well, because again, the idea of its changes and so forth, because clearly nobody's on the, on the same page day one. Um, it's a migration of, 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 of collaboration between so many professionals and so many pieces of, uh, of, of information that have to come to fruition for something to be successful. Um, so we want to augment and, and, and aid in that process, and we do that fairly well at Envision. Um, the byproduct of all of this, of course, is as well is that this can come both ways. We can send the data out to other professionals in the forms that they wish to have it in, and or we can import data from other professionals into our software to enable us to, to start that concept drawing. Again, we can do it ourselves internally, or we can work with others externally. So yeah. it's a good it's a good uh, good process. So who are your clientele? Who is uh, calling on Envision? Yeah, sure. Um, well, again, it started from frustration for me because yeah. I, as in development as well as real estate, yeah. twenty years here in Victoria, um, we. Uh, we found we did it for ourselves and then we had others asking us to do it for them because of what we just explained. Mm -hmm. uh, so clients, uh, I mean, Joe's a, a client clearly here. Uh, we have uh, a number of uh, clients through the UDI, Urban Development Institute, um, municipalities. Uh, we have uh, large developments out in Souk and Langford, uh, Colwood, uh, Timber West in Campbell River, for example, a large uh, development up there that we're working on, <coughs> uh, Toronto, Calgary, mm -hmm. Phoenix, Mexico. Yeah, so wow. yeah, so we're able to because of the technology allows us to sort of parachute into any topography, any terrain, any address, yeah. literally in the world actually. Yeah. And then we can again migrate and find all of those data sources um, and start layering them in order to compress the site to understand what its highest and best use is from multiple levels. So we're here with Chris Troke with Envision uh, Design and Development talking about uh, using software to simplify the process of development. And I guess that's really your, the, the biggest point here is the time saving, the, the effort saving, uh, you know, just knowing what developers in past have had to go through as far as just uh, even before they get to city council or before they get to planning stages, they need to do so much research just to see if the site is feasible, right? Absolutely. The feasibility process is huge because if it doesn't make money, you don't do it at the yes. end of the day. And it has to make sense from an OCP, from a planning, from a design perspective. All of those components have to be tied into the process of acquisition, um, pre-acquisition ideally. Uh, but it, clearly we can, we can react to both pre or post uh, acquisition, uh, as well as disposition. So we get this to a certain level because it, it all ends up in a marketing package at the end. Mm -hmm. So we find a lot of clients end up you know, suggesting that, uh, that the land... Um, is now at its highest and best use from a design and a density perspective because the, the city has seen it, the engineer has seen it, and, and whatnot. And then from there, we realize that, geez, at the end, this is a great marketing uh, campaign, so we're in, we have a real estate division as well, so they hand it over to us. And then on the other end, and then we're able to sort of help uh, – um, sell that product at the end because we know more about it than most. Yeah, highest and best use is such an important Taboo. term. This is something that people uh, people often don't think about. What is the highest and best use of a piece of land? Now, with a with a house or a structure or a commercial building, it's a little easier to tell, easier to know because it's either generating revenue or it's you know by by rents or or, or whatever. 
But with a vacant piece of land, it's hard to know what that highest and best use is because, you know, if you're just looking at rocks and trees and all mm-hmm. that, what, what can be done, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is, this is what, what you guys are doing is, is, is translating what somebody can see in the field into data points that can determine that highest and best use, right? Absolutely, because again, everything that's designed conforms to the zoning that's allowed. If it does not conform to the particular zoning, then we, the software will enable us and let us understand where we're offside. And it'll tell us that, hey, you're offside in this particular area. The parking lot isn't quite large enough. The lots um, aren't wide enough, for example. It'll tell us that, and we can either correct the road or the layout, or we can suggest a variance for that as well. Because, again, the intent is its highest and best use, which ideally is value to to, uh, to both parties, both the community and the developer, clearly. It has to be a win-win. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to collecting data right now, I mean, are you at the point where you have all the data you need, or are there some data pieces that still need to be found the old-fashioned way? Well, yeah, typically uh, we can collect probably 90, 95% of it remotely uh, through various sources that we use uh, and software that we integrate. The one is uh, t- typically is um, uh, geodetic data, so basically subsurface, yeah. what's below the, the ground. Yes. So if we know what that is, we can also drop um, data points in on the layout as well and then virtually drill down and it'll tell us exactly how much material, it's called volumetric, has to come out of a particular site. If we're dropping in a road or a parking lot or an underground, by the volumetrics calculations with our data points put in, the software will also produce a uh, volumetrics uh, uh, calculation for us Mm -hmm. in an Excel form uh, uh, document, which will again give us rocks, pavement, dirt. Well, I think it's important to know that 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 kind of report does not exist on every property. I mean, it requires a, a, a company to go out and actually do that work. It does. And that's probably the reason why you don't have the data, right? It does. You're yeah. correct. Um, we can um, we can drop our points in uh, with or without it. However, uh, there's clearly a disclaimer in that part of it, meaning uh, that we want to have the concept completed, the density makes sense, the valuation is there, uh, and then from there, the other professionals would then go out and get us some of that extra data, and then we can drop it in thereafter for more accuracy. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it. You know, I've yeah. seen a demonstration. Um, speaking of which, by the way, people need to uh, to find your website. What is it? Yeah, it's uh, envisioninc.ca. That's envision with an E and ink with a C, Great. .ca. And a phone number? Phone number is 250-900-6611. Yeah, like I said, I, I have seen it in action. It, it's quite remarkable, actually. Thank and you. Uh, it is, it's the way, I, actually, I think consumers may believe that this kind of technology has existed for some time, but actually it hasn't. And, and uh, open source data nowadays, you know, with the city being able to get access to information, we didn't have that up until just a little while ago. No, uh, we haven't, uh, Tony. And again, there's uh, there's lots of other layers that maybe another day we can go into. But uh, but as far as the economic development, the big picture thinking, that's what we're here to help with, okay? And to help sew all of these professionals together and create a, a, a canvas that we can all work on. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming, Chris. Uh, Will, in the corner there, um, again, thanks for coming. Uh, Thank you people, for having me. People need to reach you, uh, your email address, or your uh, website. So, again, it's Waymark Architecture, W-A-Y-M-A-R-K, architecture.com. Yeah. And we're at one 206 123 Great. And uh, Joe Kalenda, people need to reach you. Uh, Moltobene at telus.net. You're going to spell that for us again? M-O-L-T-O-B-E-N-E. <laughs> at telus.net, 250-589-8430.
Well, thank you, Joe, Will, and Chris, on our conversation today about development. There's so much to know. And if you, the listeners, have any questions, feel free to contact any of these three at any time. Uh, and I also want to thank you, the listeners, once again, for continuing to listen to our show. Because like I said, this is show number 52. I'm here for you guys for at least another year. Thank you for being uh, supporters of our show. Uh, I'll be here for you this time next week.